0: Welcome to episode 5, in which Nicole and I discuss sex, power, and magic circles. Hi all, today I'm here with Nicole, someone I find myself perpetually learning from, and we're just going to talk about BDSM and probably a number of other topics, as is the way of these things. So, Nicole, how are you doing?
1: Hi! Uh, thanks oh, for nice. having me, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what people say on these type of things. It's uh... weird, because I normally just talk to you.
0: That's true. Uh, right, let's keep it casual, you know, basically do that. No need to pretend that we're someone who we're not. Um...
1: Who says I'm not the type of person that likes... Uh...
0: Oh, fancy introductions and formalization yeah, and, and pretending stuff and. That's yeah. true. I really walked into that one, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: If you, if you bring up BDSM, you kind of automatically end up on uh,
0: I pretending. I would have to watch my time so much more this episode with the things I could potentially say. But also, I am just exhausted. My sleep schedule is absolutely destroyed from spending like a week editing this, the film of the play, and it took us until like near 4 a.m. each night so yeah i'm just all over the place so this is you can absolutely you can clown on me this <laughs> today Ooh, with all great. the stuff that i'm gonna accidentally step into
1: cool i just have a free conversation then uh i can talk about whatever i want that's what i like
0: that's yeah involves uh, in your code
1: yeah someone before i did this uh a friend of mine we're kind of have a BDSM thing with going anyway uh uh when I told him I was going to talk about him, he said, you go teach them, teach. So uh, <laughs> I guess that can work as a, as a style of doing this, I guess. Yeah. I,
0: mean, um, I think that's yeah. kind of the, the dynamic we need to play over since. Um, you sort of, yeah. you, you kind of like touched on maybe certain aspects or like little ways it's influenced, like throughout the time that we've been talking, um, but never really... Yeah like elaborated on it very much. So I feel like there's a lot of like background stuff or like a lot of framework that could potentially be very interesting here. So, uh, which you know a lot about um, and I don't know anything about, so.
1: I think I've never done the broad picture, right? A lot of people in my life know that I know shit about BDSM, but I've never sat down and gone like, Hey people, this is, this is my life journey with BDSM. So maybe that's an easy start yeah, I, I, uh, off yeah like some I your experience with it maybe
0: and yeah.
1: like sure, uh so when I was younger, I always had a fascination with power as a concept, like conceptually, uh what I mean with that is I got good at the debate club when I was like fourteen and a nerd in high school, and I ended up because of that uh, I won a competition at in my school, which normally is always won by. Like 18-year-old people, they're about to leave high school. And I was like 14 and I got in the finals and there was a politician there. So he was like, oh, uh, that seems interesting. Let's see if we can get young Nicole interested in politics. And because of that, I got interested in politics, learned a lot about politics, started watching national debates and started following politics. And because of that, the concept of power started interesting me right? How do laws actually get made? How does someone, you know, why do we elect person A over person B? And I was always interested in the machination behind it. Like I didn't really care about the law itself. I didn't really care about, um, the ethics of it all. As weird as that sounds, I was interested in like the raw power of it all.
0: Hmm.
1: So I studied sociology, ended up in Amsterdam because of that, uh, And, well, if you're in Amsterdam and you're interested in power and in sociology, then at some point your road is going to naturally cross with BDSM, it's kind of just going to happen. (laughs) you can't avoid it, right? If if you're in a bar and you're talking to someone and you're like, well, I'm interested in power and at some point someone's going to misinterpret that and go, oh, have you been to that specific bar? Right. Yeah. (laughs) And I was lucky enough that... So you just uh, want to talk
0: about your interests and suddenly you're mentioning a bunch of code words to people and they're like... Yeah,
1: yes, yes. And it's like, well, have you heard about these people? These people are really into power. Like, okay, Um, seems like my type of bar. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then I walked into there and it was not really what I expected. Uh, I mean, of course, I was 18. I'd been around the internet a bit. So I understood a little bit of what I was walking into. But I was lucky enough that I ran into a guy who kind of instantly understood, like, okay, she has no idea what BDSM is, so I'm kind of just going to take her apart and explain a little bit about BDSM. And because of that, I was lucky enough to have a very healthy introduction to BDSM. I say healthy specifically because if I look at the state of the internet and the state of the BDSM community online and what I hear a lot of people in my environment do, I get a little bit concerned. (laughs) I think a lot of people don't have a healthy introduction to BDSM. And that's also what I wanted to talk about with you and why we brought up this topic pretty long ago already, actually, Um, um, because, yeah, how do you explain this? Um, BDSM is about creating safe environments in which we can play, right? In which we can do things that we would normally never do in our day to day life. If we uh, were to strike our partner physically, or we were to say things that would be construed as objectifying or humiliating or emotionally painful, we would normally not find such behavior acceptable. We would warn people to step out of those type of relationships. And BDSM kind of tries to provide a framework, you could almost say, in which people can do these things because for some people that is erotic, for some people that is a turn on, for some people it doesn't even have to do with sex, for some people it's just a certain feeling they enjoy, they like those things. Um, so inside of that framework, they can kind of play around with that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it seems okay. a bit like... Hmm, I don't want to use the term magic circle exactly if we're talking about like game design or game development, but...
1: Yeah, it's perfect, actually. Yeah. Because I've been reading Huizingra, um as of late. Uh, Johan Huizingra is the coined the phrase Magic Circle um, already in the 1930s. So video games weren't even there yet when he coined that phrase. Um, he uses that phrase and we kind of just took it from him. <laughs> we looked at it and we went, oh, that's a very useful definition. Uh, so it's kind of perfect that he used that term.
0: What was he speaking or writing on at the time? What was like regular games or a read or something entirely different? Like what was his focus of...
1: When he uh, it down. Okay, so that's a really big topic, um, but let's go into there because I think it's very interesting. Um, Johan Huizinga was fascinated with play as a concept, mm-hmm. and he argued that there was a problem in sort of the way we. First, let me for people that don't know Johan Huizinga is a. Uh, he is a historian slash cultural anthropologist. We would probably call him a sociologist in modern definitions, um, but he didn't really use hard science. He kind of studied history through like art and culture and tried to give us insight into different time periods and all that type of stuff. His most famous work is about the middle ages. Um, I didn't like that book, but whatever. Uh, And his opus magnus is kind of homo ludens, which he argued that we had a problem, which is that we weren't studying play. We were studying a lot of things, paintings, music, other things, (laughs) wars, you name it. But no one was studying play. And he found that interesting because play is such a big thing. right? If you look around you, uh, today was the opening of the Olympics like a really big event. Millions of people would normally travel over the world to see it. Millions of people around the world watch it. Um, And it's very exciting, right? It brings nations together. It it makes people yell at each other. It makes people throw beer cans at televisions. Um, So for something that has such cultural impact, he was kind of found it weird that we didn't study it. So he tried to do that. Um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, not an easy undertaking because he realized that there was really no good study up until that point on it. So what he did is he sat down and he said, okay, let's ignore, let's ignore the biological definitions, right? Biologists will say that we play because it releases stress and that makes us happy. It's like, that's cool, but it's not really what he's trying to talk about. Right. Uh, there's definitions in psychology about that we use it to learn and all those type of things. So that's all cool and all. And he says, it's cool that that exists, but we humans have kind of gone a step beyond that. We've like formalized play, right? We, we kind of have strict rules and we build entire stadiums and, and we have like chants and everything. It's kind of ridiculous if you really think about how much of our society... Um, Contains play and how little we talk about it. It's kind right.
0: of yeah, like sort of animal kingdom version of play. If you see like lion cubs or whatever playing around, it feels like some of that old research was speaking from like a very I don't know evolutionary psychology is the right term here, but you know sort of equating it to maybe um, similar systems happening amongst animals like relieving stress and you know learning basic skills, but Yeah, yeah, obviously there's a pretty big difference between Lion Cubs playing and then, you know, the Olympics. Yes. (laughs)
1: Uh, And Hausingha even argues, it's kind of dope that you mention that because that's what his opening of the book is about, that he kind of says the problem with that play, which he, in Dutch, uh, my entire book is in Dutch, but he kind of, I think I would have to translate it, it comes down to like whimsical play. He doesn't like that. He says, it's cool, and it's beautiful that it exists, and we should motivate it and stimulate it in children and dogs and all that type of stuff. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not interesting from a cultural perspective, right? Because, because the problem, he says, it's ungraspable. Because the moment you try to grasp that, the definition kind of starts falling apart, right? Like, why does a child play? Yeah, Because he has to, right? Like, because it's a natural instinct. Um, and that's why he comes up with five very strict criteria, and it's kind of cool. I kind of want to run through them because it kind of gives us a go
0: first. Go first.
1: Because it's, for people that know a little bit about BDSM and you know a little bit about BDSM, it's going to become interesting very fast because you're going to see some parallels almost instantly. Um, so the five rules he has for play is the first is uh, play is free, it is in fact freedom. He goes. He goes very dramatic with it. Um, And that's also why a child can't play, in his opinion, or a dog. It is play, but it's not real play, like adult play. Um, Because for them, it's not a free choice. They don't decide to do it. It just happens. Um, So that's like the first criteria he uses, which is nice because it instantly separates organized play from whimsical play. So bam, problem one out of the window. Um, and then, then it starts heading into the interesting bit, which is uh play is not normal life. It's separated from our daily life. Um, well, indeed, as I said earlier, you know, we wouldn't be fine with someone physically hitting their partner. But in BDSM, we can kind of make a weird exception for it. Um, None of it's actual beating, right? But that's kind of what we're heading into is like... What is the difference between play and reality? And how do you keep those two apart? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of ties into the third rule, which is that uh, play always has a duration and a low call. Like the Olympics, right? That happens in a stadium. <laughs> we do it from like today for like two and a half weeks. We're not going to do it for four months. We're not going to do it forever, right? There's mm-hmm. there's an end. There's a moment where we say, "Yo." The boxing match is over. You have to stop hitting each other. Um, yeah, you know, be weird. Imagine, right? Two boxers are like let's start this fight, and like no one goes knock out, so they just keep doing it. Yeah. You know, it's at some point, we'd panic as a crowd. Yeah, it's like um
0: like in the through the lens of theater where you know like actors are acting, and then like there are some examples of like early. Theatres or whatever and people had a problem like differentiating between characters that the actors are acting and then like the real people that they're supposed to be portraying right so like the evil guy in in the play is not actually evil right it's just some guy with the rest of the troop being or pretending to be evil and then people like getting this visceral reaction where they're like actually wanting to go persecute the guy afterwards and he's like no you know it's like this week, step onto stage and we do it and we step off and it's you know two different things
1: so that conflation with...
0: of so like you know like two bucks they're just going for it and then everyone's just like yeah you have to you have to kill the other guy <laughs> there's no end to the
1: it's over right kill him like, yeah. literally that's why we're here it's blood sports right, um right. are there do you know by chance if there's just records of maybe i don't know someone short play kicking someone in the bulls or something
0: or sorry in a play
1: yeah you know there's maybe like a play and it was a bad guy so convincing that someone in the audience i don't know stabbed the person or something i don't know
0: i i would hazard a guess that is pretty likely to have happened sometime in the past by, by a good amount but then i don't know you know maybe like it's if they were rowdy and you know everyone's deep into the alcohol and you know sort of right now actually i read a fascinating thing and i don't know who it was by but it was sort of a look on audience culture and how clapping is the only thing that has survived through to the modern age like it's pretty hey, fun friend- right so if you're in the audience right for anything in, and, yeah. and if you think about clapping as well, like, people clap for a lot of weird reasons, but it's the only, like, permissible thing you're kind of allowed to do as an audience. You go to the, the cinema, and you sit down, and you be quiet, and you do not do anything, and when it's over, I mean, you're in a cinema, so, like, it's kind of weird to clap as well, because no one's listening, but if you're at a play or an opera, is a polite round of clapping, and then that's sort of it. But if you go to look at like a medieval production when they're put on, there's all sorts of like jibes, and jests that the audience would be throwing into the actors. Sometimes actors gladly break in the fourth wall to speak back. They'd throw tomatoes like directly on stage. i would be hooting and hollering and you know clapping and all sorts of interaction between the two groups. Right. All of that is no longer permissible you can't go to a play now and and start hollering and screaming back and like kill him kill him (laughs) right it's everything has been like stripped away and the only thing that remains is clapping to the point where like i said in in cinema there are times where people clap at the end of a film for who like no one there is listening for whose benefit is the clapping right just the other audience members or as a sign of that you enjoyed it right like it's almost a vestigial function of a previous two-way dynamic which we're have visions of or like other permutations of in in modern media but no longer really the same way that they used to be put on and i think this the article went into it a lot more i don't know if i'll be able to find it maybe i'll throw in the show notes if i do but Um, It's pretty interesting.
1: So that that is really interesting to me, actually, because so what Housing observes as well, right? In play is that we have all these rules. It's kind of like Rule Four kind of ties into this, which is useful. Which is, play creates order is in fact order, like which he means like the rules are supreme, right? The only way that play works is because the rules are so strict.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So what's interesting to me is because he argues that the freedom, which he speaks about at the start, can only be evoked because the rules are so strict, right? The reason that two boxers can behave freely and have fun and be playful is because they know, oh, the guy will stop before he kills me, right? Mm -hmm. That creates a certain safety, and because of that, you can kind of disappear in the moment. And I'm wondering, have we, like, overruled theater? It's like... Have we kind of destroyed part of the magic circle? Because indeed, if I would get swept up in it and I knew that I could cheer along, maybe that would give me more freedom to get swept up in the moment, right? Because I'm not constraining so much of myself. I would love theater where I can like cheer along and have influence on the play. And
0: You know, I've... Yeah. Oh my God, like I'm thinking about this and... I wonder how, yeah, I I do wonder how much more we could be adding to theater. I mean, I know even in the, like, amateur productions that we've put on, and so we have, like, four different groups within our theater association, and you have, like, free access to the other groups, right, when they put on their productions. And oftentimes I'm, I've been sitting there, and there's, like, this sort of sometimes muttering with, like, hey, you know it's okay to, like, clap, or you know it's okay to, you know, go wild. Um... I, I was sitting once in a, it wasn't a theater thing, it was like a sort of dance show by the dancing all the dance associations uh, at the uni, and all their different styles, like they all work together to make like one production, right? And I was sitting next to this guy who was going wild and like calling out certain people's names or whatever and like, I really wanted to join him, but I was just thinking the whole time, like I wonder how annoying this is for other people, and like, am I disturbing their appreciation of the show? And at the end of the show it turns out he was the director for like one of the big groups oh. and so he was totally he was like yeah no you should have been you know like I yeah. wished everyone had been encouraging people as much and you know I would have gladly had that happen and I've heard that sort of feedback from the people who are like usually administrating this that like yeah you can clap you can like interact a bit more it's lovely to see that and you know I know if if I'm acting and uh, if someone makes a like really funny Joke or a humorous bit like you want people to laugh and you want people to like gossip you know there's a plot twist like hearing your audience react is really nice and even knowing that I was still sitting there like biting my tongue because I was like yo you should watch this quietly and let it happen and don't disturb but even though there is this culture so like it's there but it's also it feels like it's sort of on its dying breath right like there's no there could be more but i don't know how we maybe that's a just very interesting its question comeback, it's just right? like yeah maybe how do we... maybe
1: it's just on its comeback maybe this is who knows now and then things have to die for other things to come back
0: yeah but how do we tell people who uh let's say you're just going to watch a play and you've not re- you're not like someone who watches theater very often or are really engaged in theater culture um your only experience for that is really, like, going to the cinema, going to the movies, watching some like, watching a concert. Uh, concerts are maybe a bit different. There's a lot of people cheer,
1: right? Depends yeah. on what type of concert, but...
0: Yeah, but a lot of times the audience is, is pretty reserved. Like, you're there, you're, you're aware of everyone else's, like, experience yeah. as well. And I don't know how you sort of like, how do you, how do you tell them? And maybe BDSM has like answers for this, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you let people know? Like, here are the prevailing rules and those rules form, you know, a set of metaphorical walls. And inside that wall is a space and you are allowed to move around that space up until you hit the walls, right? Like, you don't have to stay in your little one by one meter spot. Like, you are free to explore the space up until the walls. But. Like, how do you quickly broadcast that to someone who's, like, entering a theater for the, maybe that's the first time they've gone to watch a play, right? Like, how do you let them know, hey, by the way, I know in all the other things, you don't go shout out and, you know, make call outs or react loudly, but here you're allowed to, right?
1: In a way, you're already, in a way, you're already starting it. Like, I don't think we have to formulate an answer, but I think just the fact that if you start thinking about those type of questions, you will already come to solutions. Hmm. Right, if you look at because I'm instantly thinking about some places that play with that magic circle, or as Housing Kai would say, right, are kind of shifting the rules because the reality is that every time you start a theater play, you are evoking a new magic circle, right? It's the start of your play. yes, we are le- learning on leaning on cultural shorthand, right of like, okay, it's a theater, so people walk in there and they see the curtains open, so a sort of magic circle starts already emerging, mm-hmm. but it is you as the, the, one of the players that is really evoking the circle, right? And you're trying to pull other people into your circle. So, I don't know, maybe you just start a play and you turn towards your audience and you go, Hey, everyone, how is your day doing? And then if you fall silence, I assume someone will at some point understand, Oh, I'm supposed to yell back now.
0: Mm-hmm. And that then the bad. moment
1: they, the moment they yell back and you respond to that positively, then you've kind of enforced the play already, right? Yeah. Then someone understands, oh, I'm supposed to participate.
0: Right. I Th- mean, there is also shorthand in that, right? Like, there is some call and response theater. I mean, it's usually yeah. more, to, more on, like, the improv s- style of things, yeah. where, you know, often they'll, like, feel the suggestion from the audience to be like, who am I? And then, like, am I a zombie? And then there's, like, quiet yeah. am I a Viking? And then, you know, people are like, oh, I'm supposed to... Participate here, um, and yeah. I've seen that with improv. So you could. Yeah. The question that is, like, much. could
1: you do minor versions of that, and could that maybe spark stuff, right? Or maybe, maybe on your audience entering, you're already supposed to do something, right? Maybe I don't know, move your actors to sit in between the audience. Maybe that already changes some dynamics, right? I, I think you have to experiment, as Hasenkha would say. You have to play with it, mm. right? Because what makes Hasenkha interesting. Is that he argues that we tend to disconnect culture from play we tend to see them as separate right but he argues that culture was born in play and but not as in you pop out of a womb and now you exist (laughs) (laughs) he says more like play happened culture came out of that but now we're sort of intertwined so you were you'll have to play with it right try it out i don't know in a play one day Throw a weird line, see what happens. Play around with it a bit, and maybe it starts changing the dynamic by itself.
0: Yeah, um, that seems. I yeah. like what you said about like play happened and and culture sprung out of it because, a little bit earlier when I was speaking about like um, maybe people, you know, stabbing someone because they got really caught up in the play. Mm-hmm. Like on one hand, I was like, this sort of led us to the topic of people being a lot more rowdy, but on the other hand while I was speaking on that I was also thinking of theater and like live performance would have been also one of the largest vehicles for culture back then because obviously you don't you know when you experience someone singing you're not experiencing a recording of someone singing you're actually standing next to someone in the town square listening to it right like people were a lot more ingrained in what the sort of like they understood what an actor was and what a a, a musician whatever would be because like you that is the, the sort of main vehicle for like storytelling um often moral preaching especially in the case of like uh, greek theater for example oh yeah All right so you it's also something that would be very common and um that would you know that does seem like a very logical way to to I mean a lot of these sort of separate disparate uh veins that we have now, where you have like singing and 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 theater and storytelling and uh, music, for example, you can imagine you know if you've got like twenty guys and you're chilling up on a on a hilltop as you journey off to. I don't know, pasture lands or the city, as or you're you making a migration, in, yeah. and, right? As one does. Yeah, <laughs> as, oh God, I wish, but, um, yeah, <laughs> and, and some stories being told right that evening, you would have a story that's, you know, suddenly breaks out into song, and then someone's strumming an instrument in the background, yeah. and then two people get up, because, you know, with the story's been told 50,000 times before, and they get in and, like, act out different characters as it's going, and they sit back down and continue talking, and, like, you would have played around with this idea and from that codified stories and music and whatever like would emerge from it, right? Like culture therefore arises from what is initially just fundamentally playing around. And And
1: I think that's, so that's the beauty of it, right? That's the beauty of play is we sort of start from the base point of there's very there's nothing in a way we start playing and then we slowly formalize it and then in that formalization we often find new space to play again we we start grabbing elements of it and we start bolting stuff onto that right because you could even go as far as the example you're giving is really cool right but to, for that to exist music had to already exist and language had to exist and those things also or a product of play most likely right where someone started playing with their tongue mm-hmm. and realized oh and then someone else did the same and then they realized, oh playfully, hey, if I make this other sound mm-hmm. then it kind of bounces off each other and because of that we can create a formalized language
0: right
1: um, I'm not a linguist I don't know <laughs> I know a very little bit from other people that I've heard talk about language like you. I think, I think that um, gets
0: very uh, fuzzy I imagine many yeah. languages would just have like um, you know disagreements with each other when you're talking about sort of like proto-language as in like how far back into you know yeah. human history, homo sapiens predecessors to that who was using yeah. language, like You know, anytime, anything before, like, proto-Indo-European is just, seems to be a bit of a crapshoot when it comes to, like, agreement amongst linguists. And
1: then you also end up why Huizinga dislikes studying what he calls whimsical play, right, because it becomes a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is funny linguistics has that same thing right the moment you start heading into proto language it becomes kind of a oh, fuck you know <laughs> yeah. there's there's less consistency there's less handles we can hold on to so often we study what exists yes. in the now to get a better understanding right okay. like housing says like you can study play in language these days and that might give us glimpses to how play and language used to interact long ago yeah uh, um, and that's what he's more interested in and what I'm also more interested in, right? Because we can have this long winded historical conversation, which I find interesting, but also I don't know. It 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 um it becomes very how do you say? Um it becomes very meta very fast, right? You mm. you, you end up in like these weird conversations that are very hard to grasp, very conceptual. Yeah. Um Whereas if you talk about modern day soccer, right? We can we can point at things very easily. We can go like, "Yep," and then there's a goal, and then they kick in the goal, and if they miss the goal, then the person at home gets very angry at their wife, right? Like that. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can point that at that, right? That exists is tangible. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, I, I certainly know that. Uh, yeah. the, the discussion to meta trap is uh yeah, when i yeah. succumb yeah. to quite often
1: yeah as i'm sure uh,
0: other people who are interested in this do
1: yes um and that's fun and i like doing that at the right time yeah, um yeah. but but how's it hi- doing that in the explicit- middle of bdsm
0: yeah. is whew, really uh, well, don't don't
1: do that is my recommendation <laughs> uh, person who might be here for just bdsm tips don't do that don't don't have a meta discussion in the middle of a session that's Quite dangerous, I'd argue. <laughs> um, what is the definition of abuse? Um, Let's <laughs> not slide down that uh,
0: route. Right. Did uh, you touch on on rule uh, five yet, or do we sort of get sidetracked by four? We, we
1: kind of, a little bit, got sidetracked. Oh, um, nice. uh, but maybe it's good to close that off. Okay. Uh, so we had uh, players three, right? I, I need a reminder here because also mm-hmm. I'm going to go like, which did I mention and which didn't? Hey, <laughs> um, players three is in fact freedom, right? We can, when we're playing, we feel free and we're like, yay, I'm free, I'm having fun. Um, uh, play is separate from like time and location and it's kind of two rules in one, right? It's not our normal life. It's It's not about, I mean, it can include eating, but you're not doing <laughs> it because you need to eat, <laughs> right? It's not, you're not going to, When you're hungry, you need to eat, right? Play is not about that. Play is kind of a luxury in a way. You start doing it when you've done all the other shit. Um, um, Yeah, it's separate in location, has a start and end. Our boxers don't murder each other. Um, Though we're still debating on if if an actor could kill someone and that would be fine. Um, uh, Oh yeah, the rules, that's kind of, that's maybe a good one. That's the fourth one uh to also tie into BDSM, rules are supreme and absolute. Rules are non-negotiable. Right? If in the middle of a soccer match uh a player tackles someone and it's an illegal tackle, we give the person a warning. The rule says second warning and you're out. Right? That is not
0: debatable. You right. can't then stand up and go like if you if you say hey you can you can pick up the ball now and you've broken that rule, like, you're no longer playing football, you're no longer playing soccer, yeah. right? Like, you've changed the game fundamentally, and it sort of invalidates the current match in its entirety. Yeah.
1: And then the fifth rule, which is kind of in some way going to invalidate soccer in one go. Fucking
0: soccer, I don't give a shit about it. Yeah,
1: let's, inv- let's invalidate it as not play, that's always fun. Um, And it's kind of a controversial, complicated rule, actually. Uh, and there's a lot of reading and takes on on Rule Five of Housing House, which is um, no material or financial interest can be tied to play.
0: Right, I do see how that can yeah. <laughs> It takes very quickly.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm I'm very much in Housing Cast corner on this one, like very deeply, but also um, I see how sort of remnants of play. And Sort of like the biological needs of play could be met without rule five, but again, Housing says, I'm not here for whimsical play, right? I am here for hardcore adult play. Uh, Dude, like someone someone needs
0: me. to start taking drinks every time one of us accidentally like mentions a double entendre.
1: <laughs> oh boy, good luck! Uh, it's gonna get very hard very soon. There we go, that's another one. Um, <laughs> Um, Because, because you know, um, he just argues that the moment money is on the table, you're not doing this out of your free will anymore, right? If your life depends on it, if your livelihood depends on play, then you're not really playing. You're not really being free anymore. Some outside force is going to influence the way you interact with this play.
0: Um, right. I mean, that's why, yeah. yeah, I guess like a soccer player, football player would be doing it as a job, as a career, right? Like they... Yeah play maybe again like a vestigial word attached to it since you do play around yeah. with it but i think when you're doing it now as a profession then you yeah you're doing it as a profession yeah. you're doing it as a job and you're not just like maybe same guy goes home on saturday kicks a ball around the field even with the same teammates right like then you could be playing around right but yeah i i can i can see that
1: yeah and and you could and I it makes sense right because I could imagine like if you're a soccer player and you have this very long career you might not risk a certain tackle or something like that because it doesn't fit your image
0: right. or because uh, the freedom from rule one is like called yeah. into question
1: exactly like how free is this still mm. um, I was just thinking by the way how funny it is uh, that you said take a sip every time it's a double in Dondra uh, it's kind of like a fun rule. Uh, but also we've been saying rules a lot, and people that are into BDSM could have heard the word rule as a double entendre consistently. Um, so then I just well, That sounds like line. their liver problem, not mine. <laughs> or their freedom! <laughs> Alright, so, so I
0: remember yeah. a little, you were like when I finish these rules, I'm going to loop it back into BDSM. And yeah. It's going to get fun really quick. But that was like half an hour ago. So <laughs> the person who's been on their edge waiting. <laughs> Can we give them some release?
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe a bit. Maybe a, right. maybe a bit of an edge. Um, okay, so, well, there's some obvious ones already, right? Um, so, for example, the idea that rules are supreme. Um, We can see that it's like, oh, the BDSM DOM or something. And so look, I'm already throwing around terms. Uh, The BDSM DOM is like setting rules, so the sub has to follow those. That's not really what I mean. I more mean that like the agreements regarding safety are supreme. No one can break those. And we'll get to those parallels. But let's just first start with maybe just the definition of BDSM would be fun. so BDSM uh, is four, it's four letters, but it's six words, which is kind of cool, kind of magical. Oh, um, is was
0: the name of God in Hebrew?
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of, right? <laughs> uh, who knows? Maybe in like hundred years, people will be like, you can't say, you can't say the name full out. Uh, <laughs> now BDSM is, um, um, and this is also where it's going to get a bit tricky because it's history is very different than how we look at B how I look at BDSM and whatever uh so it's uh bondage domination no wait it's bondage discipline domination submission and sadomasochism and masochism or sadism and masochism
0: so two s's two d's
1: yeah yeah right it's kind of kind of cool how you can use them double and you can also see they kind of form pairs oh, which is kind of nice yeah <laughs> Oh, I'm very mature here. <laughs> no hardcore play here today. Um, or are you being playful with language?
0: Oh, let's Ooh. stop doing that. Ooh. We're getting
1: exhausting.
0: My meta um, traps. So.
1: Yeah, so if you just hear it that way, it's kind of just a labeling of things, right? It means people that play around with these six things. And that's not really the interesting part. Uh, it, it's kind of just a remnant of things the BDSM community is generally into. Um, but. What has been fascinating me as someone that is fascinated in power as a concept and also in housing is that what bdsm actually just is as i said is a is a is a framework in which you can do things that you normally couldn't where you can play and there's generally two frameworks that exist uh one is called uh, ssc and the other is called rack with ck um which stands for safe, sane, and consensual that's SSC and REC is risk, risk, aware, consensual kink. Um, yeah, a lot of lot of stuff here. Um, so SSC basically boils down to, well, three words are safe, sane, consensual, which means safe, sane, do... consensual? safe sane, and consensual, oh, okay. um, which means that everyone involved in a scene, right, here we go again, you evoke a scene, you evoke a magic circle, as you said at the start, and then pulled us into Johan Huizinga, uh, <laughs> um, is that the the um, uh, everyone who's evoking a magic circle is doing so in a safe, sane, and consensual manner. Now, what does that mean is, you know, don't choke someone unless you know what you're doing. Don't tie a human being up if you don't have a safe pair of safety scissors nearby. Right? Sane means, I guess, don't be intoxicated while you're doing any of this. Don't do things that are really stupid. Like I don't know. Don't, don't burn your house down. Hmm. <laughs> um, it, it's safe probably if you know what you're doing with lighter fluid, but um, it's it's not really sane. The consequences of this might seriously damage you. Now, there's sane ways to do it. I'm not king-shaming people that are into house-burning into saying, don't do it.
0: Arsonists are in <laughs> shreds right now.
1: <laughs> I just mean, like, you know, do it in a sane way. And then consensual is, is everyone consensually on board? Is everyone aware of what is happening? And, you know, um, uh, is everyone in agreement? Is no one intoxicated? Is no one... Uh, under influence or anything, or is there any external pressure? Which kind of relates a little bit back to like housing house fifth point, right? Like a little bit already, which is like, if there's financial reasons for this, if one person in the relationship has certain financial powers over the other, how much of this is consensual, right? If one person is like really strong and pins the other down and then you start negotiating about, I don't know. Spanking or something, how consensual is that spank then, really?
0: All um, right. So, the person who's like the who is agreeing to it is kind of agreeing under duress, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, that's not a good thing. Um, and then we have REC, which kind of came into existence a little bit later because some people had critique on SSC because they were like, well, nothing is really safe or sane, right? I mean, you could practice choking out someone a million times, but it doesn't mean you might never slip up or, right. yeah. or you could have a billion safety nets, but something might still go wrong. So they came up with RAC, which is risk aware consensual gink kind of already implies, which just mean as long as everyone is aware of all the risks and it's consensual, <laughs> then it's also kind of in the clear. I don't want to have a long discussion about this because the BDSM community has not figured this out fully, right? There are people who believe one of the two is way better than the other. There are people like me who kind of go, I, I find it a debate about semantics. Um, I think in a lot of ways it is very similar. I have had partners that are into SSC. I've had partners that are into REC. Uh, know. It
0: kind of just, I mean, wow watch me absolutely enrage a bunch of people but (laughs) it kind of seems like the difference between actually something i've been grappling with uh when it comes to like making any public post we kind of joked about it a little bit earlier um about making definite statements right it's like at the start like you hear a different statement and it's like you know i don't know something like Men are, like, I don't know, men are trash, for example, right? And then there's, like, well, your statement means every single man, because it's 100% definite, you include every single person. And then there's this whole semantic debate about it where it turns into, like, well, some part of it, not all, right? Like, you you start dividing, but, like, I mean a a significant portion or the majority or a, a large you know, you have a high likelihood of, yeah. right? you go through this whole semantic thing and that feels like the risk of where it's like, yeah, nothing is 100% safe, obviously. like Nothing is really 100% binary anyways. Um, yeah. So now you have an asterisk of it's mostly are you aware. Coming back to the statement thing, it's like at some point you start realizing, like once everyone sort of agreed on, like once you stop sp- speaking to people who are only going to interpret your words as that like 100% definite as if you're making some globally expansive statement which is just tiring to have to interact with that person because you're already sort of like well if that's their viewpoint how much do I really weight their answers anyways and then you sort of get into a sort of like non-dualistic approach you end up realizing like I could just say the definite statement anyways like the person who can interpret that and be like I understand that when you make the statement, you are not trying to include every possible person on the planet into that category. And then you you just end up right back where you started, like, using definite statements, yes. but sort of trusting that the people will be able to read, you know, yes. apply some critical lens to it. So that's sort of my <laughs> look on SSC versus RAC, where it's like, yeah. definite statement a slightly appended statement, you're really shooting for the same point, and you're debating semantics, and, you know, everyone yeah. loves a little bit of drama in their community to make it feel like something's happening.
1: Yeah, I know, right? It's good. Uh, we need opposition. Uh, you'd argue that with doms and subs, we would have enough opposition. Um, but, then method- switches, but then switches came into existence <laughs> and kept everything peaceful. Um, <laughs> but, no, but, but to just um, be be slightly nuanced in the defense of RAC, not mm-hmm. the not the methodology, but People who I've spoken to all of that sort of persuasion school about of, BDSM. School of thought. Yes, let's say it's as cool as that way. Uh, very formalized. They have university lectures yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and attend those. I'm not mocking people <laughs> who follow rec, by the way. Um, but um, a lot of them argue that it's about where you lay your focus in your preparation. So they would say, safe and consensual puts a lot of time and effort into practicing preventing accidents right? Safe. So you practice, you make sure you have all the things like, you know, a rope cutter nearby and all that type of stuff. Um, Whereas REC argues you should focus more on risk awareness, if that makes a little bit of sense. So they argue like, hey, instead of, so let's say you're seeing a performance of BDSM, because this is mostly where that discussion started, is once BDSM clubs became more formalized and performances started happening and that type of stuff. If you're seeing a couple on stage perform something, uh, I should say playmates, they don't have to be a couple, Um, usually playmates perform on stage, then someone who's into SSC would very quickly think like, ooh, is this safe, right? Is, are they doing this in a safe manner? Are, you know, that's more the question that would be on their mind. Whereas a wrecker would be asking questions like, ooh, have they thought about the risks of what would happen if this goes wrong?
0: So, what's the next step after, like, being aware of risks? Like, for example, if you're like, Um, hey, I've, you know, I've tied this knot, there is a chance I suddenly can't open it, and therefore I need those scissors. So that's exactly
1: what what they're trying to avoid, in a weird way. Okay, let's take it more drastic, right? Let's take it a step more drastic, because that might help here. Um, um, Let's say you're into knife play. Okay, Mm that's that's knife Play is kind of. Oh, we should probably just say straight up ahead for everything that's gonna follow trigger warnings on topic like, um, (laughs) um, consent. Right. Topics such as rape. Topics such as blood. Nice. You can
0: probably Uh, conceivably see it being done within a BS um scenario. Yeah, I think a trigger warning for that should just. Yeah. But These the, topics. Are, if you made it this far, you know. Yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sh- Um. I'm sure
1: you can. um uh, I don't know. Um. Yeah. Th- there's gonna be stuff. Um. Let's say so you're into knife play, and you both really like, I don't know, cutting the thigh, for example. And safe, saying consensual would indeed have all the backup plans, right? Make sure that you have that you don't cut too deep, because that can leave you know scarring or nerve damage. Um. Make sure you have, you know, ice cubes for aftercare. That you have like a little warm cloth so that you can help help dab it and all that type of shit. Now, risk rec would actually argue, (laughs) don't only think about the after steps, but by being aware of the risks. So, for example, we might cut too deep. Like I can do everything I can to prevent that, but there's still a possibility that I might accidentally cut too deep and hit a nerve consequence of that will be that you have nerve damage. And that has to factor into your consent. So it's not about what happens after Rack actually argues that it should be a discussion about what, what happens, happens beforehand, before. because in a way, and this is kind of what I like a little bit about Rack, is it argues you should also consent to the potential risk. And now you can also see why it still ended up in a discussion about SSC versus REC. um uh, exactly what I wanted to avoid, but um you, you can also see that s s c then argues yeah oh wait a second, but I never consented to nerve damage
0: right, yeah,
1: and you can see where this debate can get okay. kind of I, flared up
0: i see um, no, I, yeah, yeah like it, I think you summarize it pretty nicely with like not thinking about just steps afterwards but like pre Preconcept, so that clears it
1: up. Yeah, so um, that out of the way, right? Um, That's kind of a framework um, which allows us to have discussions about BDSM, but we're not kind of really onto the topic of what is BDSM actually. (laughs) Um, And that's also because there's no good definitions. Go to Wikipedia and have a fun trip. It's basically just it feels very derogatory in a way that how most academics and, and Wikipedia and stuff writes about BDSM because they instantly go into like, Oh, look, here's an image of a woman getting whipped. I'm like, that's not BDSM though. That's an act inside of BDSM. Um, which is why I like dragging Huizingra on the table. Um, <laughs>
0: <yeah. Sips. laughs>
1: because he's useful for us because he gives us, and I love that you ended up there, you know. Supernaturally, because that's the magic circle mm. what b d s m is, is his brain yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's also maybe one of the reasons that b d s m is on the rise, and there's weird overlaps between those communities um Shout out to some weird communities out there you know who you are <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> and if you don't if you're curious, it's probably you.
1: yeah, I'll probably drop a link um. Um, so, um, uh, magic circle is the idea that, well, we can go through housing has rules, right? Okay. Free freedom. Okay. Consensual, right? It is a free act. I do this willingly. Um, it is separate from normal life. So it is a separate moment. We sit down for this. We make rules about this. We make agreements about this. Let's say. One person really likes dressing up like a cat and behaving like a cat, and they really that like it when their unlikely. partner feeds them milk. I don't know. <laughs> um cannot
0: imagine uh, that happening at all. No, there's totally
1: no people in the world that are nope. into that. Um <laughs> so um they make rules about this, right? They say, Okay, for the next hour you're gonna play a cat. I am fine with that, but I am not really fine with you taking a shit in a litter box. That just weirds me the fuck out. I don't want to be a part of that. So they agree that that's like maybe where the limit is, and which part they like and dislike. And a person is also like, hey, when I'm a cat, um, uh, don't, don't keep treating me like a cat if I fall down the stairs or something. <laughs> right? Like, like a real cat, I might actually break bones when that happens um so please check up on me on that (laughs) moment um and this is also where housing is useful because he makes an observation about animals uh which is that if two cats are playing uh, um and they're play fighting with each other right and one hurts one really badly like actually right they're play fighting but then i don't know one really scratches the other they'll stop right they'll communicate that one cat will make a bunch of sound and the other cat will instantly realize like oh shit this is real we need to stop yeah um in pdsm that's called a safe word um and the moment a safe word is said most communities use the word red um i don't know why it's just a very popular word i think it has to do with traffic lights um yeah red Seems, green yellow yeah. that type of stuff <laughs> um so when the word red is said the scene stops and you kind of dispel the magic circle and you say like yo is everyone okay uh, uh, and like i said so those rules are supreme and because of that you can behave freely inside of those rules you can play a cat you can pretend to be a cat and you can have fun with that and you can do ridiculous stuff with that um not that I think playing a cat is ridiculous, but I'm just trying to... Yeah, know, yeah, yeah.
0: You, it, it, yeah, it's a yeah, general thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. It doesn't matter what the play was. Like, you could,
1: yeah. yeah, exactly. And that way, housing actually gives us like these really nice, tangible terms to explain what BDSM actually is. It's this magical moment that exists separate from everything else. And this is also what I dislike about what BDSM has become in the common sort of interpretation of it. Because I think a lot of people, when they talk about BDSM, we instantly get the images of the whips, right? And dominatrixes in, in leather with long boots and, um, um, I don't know, uh, uh, very stern men hitting girls with their belts and people being called daddy and all that type of stuff. we not going to be wrong. That is a part of our community. I'm not going to deny that. Um, but it's not what BDSM is. It It, it is part of it. <laughs> But BDSM can also be playful and whimsical. It can also be well not whimsical play, Housing I would have an opinion yeah. on that. But <laughs> I mean, it can be it can be joyous, right? So it can be celebratory.
0: The, what's the um, furthest thing that would still fall within the bounds of BDSM in your community that you know is like the furthest from the idea of whips and And later, I'm going to give a
1: very, I'm going to give two examples that, that might shift some perception on what BDSM is and also why I find it an interesting topic to talk about and find it a topic that we as society need to talk about more Um, because we're currently having sort of a lot of discussions culturally about sex, right? Me too movement. um, What is consent? How do you define consent? How do you flirt with someone? There's a lot of discussion there. And I think BDSM kind of has a lot of answers for us because BDSM had to have conversations about sex in a very uncomfortable manner. Uh, So it it, it kind of did a lot of the groundwork for us. But two examples I'm gonna use. um, One is a very beautiful story about a woman I know who um, uh, was raped when she was younger uh, in her teen years. And because of that, had a trauma about penetrative sex. She didn't like that. She found it uncomfortable. It scared her. Um, now, penetrative sex for 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 most heteronormative relationships is kind of the standard, right? It is. It is the thing we learn in in school. It is. It is the norm.
0: Yeah.
1: But. For her it was a terrifying experience it was filled with fear it was filled with uncomfortableness and it made her not feel pleasant whenever it happened so she was very against it but she also at the same time wanted to kind of grow over that trauma she wanted to move past that now what bdsm did for her is it allowed her to have conversation with her partner in this case partner about that they both came to a club that i went to now and then and some friends of mine had a conversation with them but like well you know you could introduce safe words you could maybe make it playful in a way you could maybe you know build up slowly to it make some rules about like maybe a finger first and then see how you respond to that. And because there's a safe word, and because we disassociated from normal, in quotation marks, real life, maybe you can play someone else, right? Maybe that will allow you to go through steps of that experience in a way that is slightly disassociated from your life. And because of that, you might feel safe enough to experience it. Now, if you know anything about trauma... um. We know that in certain cases, exposure can help. And in this case, it helped for her. She would play in those moments that she was another person. For some reason, for her, it was very important to be a sexy secretary. I don't know why (laughs) that worked for her. I don't know. And that it was her boss doing that to her. Maybe something about a power dynamic made it easier for her to explain why she was feeling uncomfortable. Right, Because when it happened, she felt uncomfortable, probably just like a secretary would if her boss touched her. Now, these are things in normal life that we would never find okay, right? (laughs) But in the play, it worked and it helped as an outlet for her. Because of that, she could allow that discomfort to come out in other ways. Because indeed, when it became uncomfortable, she could maybe scream. Like the secretary probably would, but her boyfriend knew, oh, she's not using the safe word. So we're fine. I can keep going. Mm -hmm. And because of that, over time, she started feeling more comfortable around penetrative sex. Now I'm not saying that penetrative sex is, is should always be a goal for every couple, blah, blah. That's not my point. My point is that there's something that she wanted to experience in her life. And this way, she could get to something that we would normally describe as the norm in most heteronormative relationships. I would call that very far removed from what we normally think of when we say BDSM.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, sort of like, um, I mean, there's this weird overlap with like, um, I mean, all the way back to magic circles. Like, magic circles can be invoked, you know, it's invoked when you make games, right? The video games or eight board games or whatever. And BDSM is in a way, right? you talk about players and a scene, it's its own game, but there are all these like social games, right? That we are all playing. Um, and social norms that are also games. We've got two different players and sort of like a set script when it comes to Interacting with someone the first time that you meet, job interviews, you know, sort of a very broad definition of the rules of the game. And basically, when you, you know, open up the circle, you're like, here is a set of, you know, like, here's the sort of set of metaphorical. Yeah, like it's like a, like an actual space opens up and you enter it and you have an exit to it and there is an sort of somehow an agreed upon procedure about what's going to happen here in terms of like what is okay and what is not and a lot of times these are these are like um inferred or culturally transferred and i think a lot of times it's where you get like mismatches like two people's idea about what flirting might be could be very different right and there is this sort of like you meet you suddenly start like chatting and it's it's clearly going somewhere okay so a circle starts opening right yes and there's some sort of procedure but we have not communicated how we're both getting out of this we've not communicated what our yes! are, and we do not know what the <laughs> norms of this situation is right so like bdsm and sort of just circles in general seem like they have this huge overlap like what is BDSM and what is just the idea of like let's let's have agreement about what we're doing here let's like speak openly to the fact that like hey we're gonna have weird sex hey we're gonna flirt hey we're gonna do whatever which seems pretty unnatural I think to a lot of people and then have like sort of the set of agreement about where yes but you know how do you do that for example with a stranger that you meet at a bar? how do you especially if If you're from one country and they're from another and you're both traveling and you're meeting in a third, right? Like what is, you know, a job interview, you know, how do you, how do you bring this up with a potential employer without seeming like a fucking weirdo, right? Like how do we, but these are very important, right? Like that interview can sort of set up an idea about what the company's work culture is like. Floating can be very uncomfortable for a lot of people because they have also good trauma that they've experienced when it comes to like, oh, some guy did something to me in a club once, right? Like that's sitting with me. Or how long afterwards right so these are important questions and i'm interested to hear how bdsm might have answers for you know sex is pretty uncomfortable or awkward to talk about for a lot of yeah. people who haven't but also once it, it does imply some sort of trust like when you're about to have sex if it's consensual like you are both in agreement like right now we're gonna do stuff that is usually not normal and, and you know like it's certain things are not permissible and we trust each other enough to like get naked and vulnerable together right how do we apply that to or at least it's a very interesting question to me it's like how we how we can talk about applying that to other topics where we don't have that like start off trust about like you know I'm getting to the point where I'm okay to have sex with you right now, so we can start talking about rules, or whatever. If I'm meeting a stranger, we to have think, a, you know, how do yeah. we start? How do we get that? Oh
1: so God. I think, um, um, so I think BDSM is incredibly useful there because because if you participate in BDSM, right? That's that's almost the end pitch of this. It's like, hey, people out there, if you've never tried BDSM, <laughs> maybe give it a go at some point in a very slow manner try to just try it out right and and what you'll learn is that everything in life that by trying it out you learn certain skills right that's if you go to the biological function of play again we play to learn um um, a friend of mine really goes into this often his his main take is like play is all about learning Uh, and there's a lot to say about that but what People learn by participating in BDSM is how to get really good at having those conversations in very fluent ways. So, bit of a weird one, but in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, dungeons—that's a—that's a drink. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Dungeons, dragon
0: could be a drink on its own as well.
1: Oh, oh, oh we're gonna stretch it that far, and at some point, everything can be a drink. Um, Stretch, already a good word. Anyway, um, in Dungeons and & Dragons and all the tabletop role-playing games, one of the things that has become popular is a session zero. Right, It's kind of like a session. For people that don't know, like tabletop role-playing games are like you role-play something, like in BDSM, and you have sessions, see end, and start, where you do stuff. And then session zero is a session you have before your first session, where you talk about things like what type of role play are we looking for? What type of, um, what type of things are allowed at the table? What type of things are not allowed at the table? Um, what type of theme are we going for? All that type of stuff. Now, BDSM kind of has the same thing, (laughs) which is that it argues that the, the, The sexiest way to have fun is to actually make everything incredibly explicit. It's the safest way to do it, right? And culturally, as you say, we're very bad at this. This is also why I think BDSM started underground and is still in a weird place. And people like me need to yell and speak out. Um, We have culturally learned that sex is kind of a big (laughs) no-no, Right, mm-hmm. And because of that, it's really awkward because indeed you sit at a table and you look at each other and then you kind of have a feeling or three people or four people who the F knows, and you're all kind of having this vibe and then no one really says anything explicitly. And then now and then you hear people say like, well, how do I know when to make a move and not offend a person and all that type of stuff? BDSM says, make it the conversation explicit in a fun way. And it doesn't mean you start by going, oh, and a fuck, it's not a, it's not a good one because you're already kind of overstepping a few lines because you don't know if this person feels comfortable with that. So one of the things you can do in BDSM, which is very common, is you can say, we're about to have a conversation about what we are comfortable with in a conversation. Ooh, kind of intriguing, mysterious, what's about to happen. And you're already kind of evoking a little magic circle, right? And in that conversation, if you ever feel uncomfortable, all you have to do is tap the table twice. Ooh, mysterious little ritual has been introduced. And I feel safe. Because I know that we're going to have a conversation that might get a bit weird. But you also gave me an out already. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you kind of create a tiny little magic circle in which you can have a conversation about another circle you might want to create at some point. And this is House point. (laughs) Culture creates play, creates culture, creates play upon each other endlessly. Um, I recently saw a bunch of young people on TikTok, so hip, Like a thirty-year-old woman hanging around on TikTok. (laughs) Fuck yes. Um, have a conversation about this. It was for a like high school educational like sex ed thing. One of the guys said, "But how can I flirt with a girl if everything has to be consensual?"
0: Oh yeah, that's a that's a very uh, um, yeah. But if you're fourteen-year-old, you're
1: if you're a fourteen-year-old man who's grown up in maybe not the most progressive society or i shouldn't even say progressive but like a, a more patriarchal society then indeed that can be complicated oh i, right? I think
0: more than just if you're a 14 year old yeah like, yeah that's that seems yeah. to be a, a thing that a lot of people are grappling with right now is like you know especially with stuff like the Me to movement. and you've got a lot of you know people yeah. speaking out about it and then the, the sort of Maybe not even backlash. Maybe it's just honest questioning as well. But there's a lot of backlash in there. It's like, well, how do I do anything now? Right? Yes. Like, how do I... It seems like I would ruin the moment if I speak about this explicitly. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So a community that has to now and then talk about, I don't know, urinating on someone else, has you covered. Don't worry, person listening to this. You're about to get the answers. <laughs> um, which is make consent sexy. So the example these these you know teenagers for sex ed gave was you're looking at someone who you find attractive across the room, you've been talking to them maybe a little bit, and you really want to kiss them. Now, you could make a move. In a way, that is kind of an aggressive move, right? You could try and kiss them. It's kind of a... Kind of weird if you really think about it, because you don't have consent
0: for this. Yeah, I mean I, I think we've all found examples of like yeah. teenagers who've stuck their tongue down someone's mouth and Oof. no one's really wanted to
1: Fourteen, fourteen flashbacks for me and go like help me. Uh um <laughs> <laughs> uh, very uncomfortable. Um uh as being the person who pushed the tongue in right and now looks back and goes, Yikes. Uh <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean I think it's yeah. probably uncomfortable for both a yeah. side suit to, to look back and be like god what the fuck was I doing? Yeah. Uh,
1: I think I just outed myself as a switch by accident but whatever
0: um, <laughs> now so... you made it explicit <laughs> yeah, now, I now it make explicit. it sexy that's, that's yeah, a three step
1: <laughs> 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 anyway so um, what they do is one of the uh, the one person they've been talking blah 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 and uh, the guy in the video really wants to kiss the girl so he says to her you know I've been having a pretty good time. I've been looking at your lips for a while and I'd really like to kiss them. Are you fine with that? That's sexy if you ask me. If someone told me I've been thinking about kissing your lips for a while, are you fine with that? Oh, God, that's great. Mm-hmm. And if I then want them to be more assertive than that, I can say something like In the future, you don't have to ask. Ooh. oh indeed very fun playful playful banter I've heard a lot of people from
0: from people Hmm? who are like just sort of the bare minimum of consent where you know like someone has just asked something and I see like the reactions are like oh my god the consent it's so so know, and that's that's really low super low bar Uh, so I think if you can go a little bit further and make a little bit sexy then Seems to be a winner. At least, you know, I think a lot of people who are going to be like, "Wow, that—that that was the line that you know—that doesn't sell me on the idea." But at least from what I've seen, people do seem to respond pretty positively. Yeah, too.
1: it, it, it. What it also does is it slows everything down, right? The weird thing, the image we have of BDSM is that it's all kinky and wild. And listen, if you think asking consent in a slow manner is not sexy then you definitely shouldn't be playing with ropes and stringing up people against walls and hitting people with whips. The reality is, in my experience, as someone who has been in the BDSM community for over 10 years right now, it's the people that move slow that have the kinkiest, wildest fucking experiences of a lifetime.
0: I'd also say there's probably a good deal of because you are moving slow, some of the uncertainty and miss uh, how do I say this like misdone actions are eliminated right when you are moving quickly to try capitalize on something you don't really understand that's when you can like for example let's go back to 14 year olds kissing Uh oh god that's under me to say Um, but you know young teens who may be a bit uncertain if they don't know like god can I do it They just push their head in too far. Maybe they clunk foreheads, you know, like, everyone's flustered. They don't know what they're doing. But if you have explicit, this is an okay move, that gives you a second or two to collect your thoughts, to plan your action, to move in over a second rather than trying to rush it as quick as you can. And, you know, you can do it smoother. You can do it without worry. And that'll limit by asking for that consent it eliminates all that worry and that like that rush as you try to to sort of force an action so yeah, yeah i've advocated it for for the the consent being like slow consent being leading to more possible uh pleasure or more possible kinkiness
1: and it's not just More kink or more, you know, wilder Mm -hmm. things. Um, I think one of the things that BDSM does so beautifully is it makes things explicit, which we are culturally taught shouldn't be explicit. Like um, in BDSM, what I worry about so much, right, is that a lot of these terminologies, such as daddy and spanking and all this type of stuff, has kind of become cultural norm in a way. It's all become shorthand. And I will always say, if someone doesn't know how to properly ask for spanking, I won't give it to them.
0: Mm.
1: I need to know why they want it. And I need to know 100% sure to go to RAC or to SSC that this is what they want. That we can make this happen in a safe way. That should be with everything sexual you really think about, right? We should have clear conversations about, no, I want to be touched here Oh, try touching me there. I don't know if I'll like it, but let's try it out together. Those type of conversations are essential, both in BDSM and outside of BDSM. And this is where, as you say, has, does BDSM have answers? Yes, it does because because it kind of says lean into that explicitness make things that we normally don't talk about okay to talk about for the longest time this, for the longest time the idea of cuffing a, a sexual partner to a band was like super kinky turns out that when we started having a big cultural conversation about it kind of everyone is into it
0: right
1: almost yeah. everyone is into a little spank <laughs> <laughs> not saying everyone, but a lot of people are. and Probably more people that are not into it. And by making that explicit and saying that without feeling uncomfortable, without having a weird aura hang in the room, you can start having fun with it. And it's getting over that. And that takes a certain confidence, right? Because that's the reality, is you have to be vulnerable. You have to actually say what you want. You have to really think about that. That's not easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it takes experimentation and it takes making mistakes. And that's also what BDSM gave us. It gave us an out when you make a mistake. It gave you a safe word. It gives you aftercare. Aftercare, where, you know, it's kind of just. <laughs> If you're going to try BDSM with your partner and you're going to try stuff like spanking and dirty talk and all that type of stuff and whatever you want to try, always have like a chocolate bar near the bed and like a glass of ice water, Um, you know, so that once it's over and it goes wrong or maybe it does go right because you did just hurt someone physically maybe or emotionally, eat some chocolate together. You know, have a glass of cold water, kind of cool down, cut a little bit, enforce like positivity, right? Enforce like, wait, this was as Housing how would say, this is not normal life, right? This is play. This is not. Yeah, I was gonna say this is not normal sex, but that almost sounds stigmatizing. But that's not what I mean,
0: right? Like a gradual it, reentry back into like things where. You yeah, know, things were tough now, but now you're, we're still, I don't know, a couple. We're still, but I mean, maybe not. We're, but still, you know, friends, right, we're still, still friends. Humans, we're still humans. We're, yeah, like yeah. what was whatever there is now left is. behind and we're, yeah, returning to the normal dynamic. And, you know, yeah, like I swear at you, okay, that's over. Now I got to crack a joke and be like, hey, we're still, you know, like we're, our friendly relationship has resumed. That moment was just a bit or just a play or.
1: It was It was not our ordinary life. And now it ends, and now we can go back to ordinary life, and then we can talk about it again, do a checkup, like, the next day. Right? Like, oh, did you actually like yesterday? Which parts did you like? Which parts didn't you like?
0: Performance review.
1: Kind of. <laughs> this may be less boring, but, you know, well, some people are into that. I get pretty excited from Excel sheets, so... To, to any part potential partner listening, if you want to have a performance review with me after a BDSM session, send me a nice Excel sheet.
0: Submit um, your 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 soliciting date idea to Nicole via yeah. spreadsheets. Woo. If you can get a good Woo. one going, you're yeah, that's halfway uh, in the door already.
1: Yeah. I'll I'll blanket consent to that if people want to send me explicit Excel sheets. If you, you have like... my contact information, be my guest. I'll um, leave an
0: email if you want me to leave an email.
1: <laughs> um, I don't know about that. Don't uh, <laughs> have all blanket consent to, to total strangers. sending yeah, yeah. <laughs> me.
0: They'll go through me. They'll be like, hey, can I? Yeah, that's fine. You can yeah. ask your consent through me. I'll... And... Yes, that? Yeah, that's fine. There Let's do
1: Um, But see, that's what I mean. And that way I might get something in my life that I want. Uh, but I can only do that by putting myself out there. Uh, show that vulnerability.
0: Uh, That's a good to have, lesson in general, yeah. I think.
1: Yeah. Right? This is, again, it's one of the reasons I'm so fascinated by BDSM and power as a concept and, and permission and all that type of stuff. Um, and I want kind of the taboo to fall off it. I, I really want BDSM to get a better name than, oh, we were kinky and we did stuff with leather. Um it's cool. Don't get, me, don't get me wrong. BDSM clubs are amazing places. And the reason BDSM clubs are amazing places is because you can learn how to do something like knife play safe, right? It's a place where you can learn how to do things like tying your partner without damaging their blood flow, um, right? That, that's why BDSM clubs are cool because it's people sharing knowledge with each other. Yeah. Kind of like I hope I did for you.
0: I think that's quite a succinct note to end on. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: maybe, yeah. Did yeah. you get out of this what you wanted?
0: <laughs> um, in a... In a sort of way... I don't know. I think I end up just turning everything into different lenses, right? So, like, as yeah. soon as I really, I think the most helpful connection was like, hey, you're, you know, magic circles and invisible walls, and now I'm just like applying that to, you know, it's already a lens I'm relatively comfortable doing. I think I'm just a, a bit more open to like um, being able to apply that to or scenarios that I see and observe and maybe I just need to now put that into practice a bit and just play around with being able to open up circles a little bit more. at will, Um and God, do I want to be a witch? Um, pass my little fucking incantation hex on. And...
1: But that's what you're doing in a way, right? That's yeah, magic yeah, circles. Yeah, yeah. That's the cool exactly, thing about exactly. it. it um, um, yeah, I have to go there for like a second now, because because there is like in play, right? And you're game dev. So you think about this type of stuff. I try to think about this from a perspective of art. Um, is I think playing around with the magic circle is fascinating. Um, Hideo Kojima, yeah, there we go. That's why I had to laugh because I bring up Hideo Kojima. Um, bingo. Media uh, Sam Housinkha Hideo Kojima. It's like the trifecta. Um, yeah, we had
0: spreadsheets in there as well, so
1: yeah. Oh, spreadsheets as well. Yeah. It's everything. Everything I want out of a relationship. Um, um is Um, he does this with Metal Gear Solid one, right? Where he plays around with the idea that, oh, the game is set inside of the magic circle that we normally see on our screen with input. And then he has a puzzle that you can only solve by grabbing the box of the game and reading out a code on the back of it. Right. I, I find that already a little interesting experiment about shifting magic circles and playing with it and having conversations and dialogue about it. I say this explicitly as well because I know that Hideo, this isn't an accident that he ended up on this. It, you know, he read Johann Hisinger's Homo Ludens. His his entire studio motto at the moment is, you know, Homo Ludens. He writes about this. He, you know, so there are people that are starting to notice these patterns. This thing that bugs me about Hisinger is because I'm reading his work at the moment again. His entire book gives us a summation of what is play. Then he has like 12 chapters about shit like play in art, play in language, play in war, and all interesting topics. But the one that I'm missing is play in sex. Hmm. And it's just, that's the the missing chapter for me. It's like the missing linking pin in all of this. And I think culturally, we as a society also are maybe, maybe missing that play in sex. Maybe that's the thing. Is like make sex playful again.
0: Yeah, I feel like make many things playful again um, yeah. is is maybe a appropriate way to navigate a bunch of the things that we're dealing with um, right now. Since it does involve, yeah, play through uh, through the lens that we talked about and the rules that we talked about. Right, like I think we can engage. Yeah, like I said, with a lot of things that people are struggling with right now, if they have a clear boundary of what the rules are, what consent is, how it separates, um, and that could be very helpful. Jumping back really quickly to your your thing about Nokia Solid, there's some dev on Twitter who I wish I could remember their username off the top of my head because they're relatively well-known, so I do apologize for forgetting it temporarily. But remember, link it
1: below in yeah. the sidebar whatever yeah
0: it'll be there it's um i remember a game that they made which kind of like playing around with the idea of the circle and and reading the code on the box it involves like you're playing the game and you have to alt tab to the desktop and you solve a certain part of it or in fact i i believe they first tried a um a uh like a game jam game of this where was sort of uh specifically this mechanic could be wrong i think they use it in two games but um you have to all type the desktop and then drag files from one folder in your file hierarchy into another folder and then you know like the game refreshes and sees it basically and huh. gives you a response so you play around by actually manipulating the files In the game's folder structure and putting them in different places. And I think like sending messages to each other in a in a way by like putting the actual file in an actual like sort of post box. Um and the game like is using that as as a as a way of interaction. And I thought that was like immensely fascinating, because that's exactly what I love. is like it's a game, we know, but it's like breaking the idea about like Only takes place in the executable window and nowhere without that. Um,
1: That yeah, that like now it's like also like making parts of my brain rattle, right? Because that instantly makes me think of like how people in BDSM, for example, are into like things like conditioning. Conditioning is kind of like where you reward positive behavior and. Pavlovian. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Well, so you have you have multiple types of conditioning. You have classic conditioning, which is Pavlovian responses, which is I don't know. I guess every time. I don't know, every time you kiss my hand, I give you a cookie. So at some point, you know, when you kiss my hand, you'll have a happy response based on that. Yeah. But you also have like more complex forms of conditioning, right? Which is, you know, we as game devs kind of fuck around with that to get people addicted to micro transactions. Um, right. It's like, yeah. Um, Skinner boxes. Yeah, Skinner boxes and all that type of stuff. So uh, operant conditioning is the Operate. one I'm thinking yeah, of. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, some people are into that from like a consensual viewpoint, right like they they want operant conditioning to to for example, you know start doing certain sexual behaviors, following certain sexual behaviors, et cetera, that type of stuff um and I just find that interesting as well, right because um uh, like you say, the game partially plays in the files it's almost like in b d s m we would almost say like someone is kind of playing around in your head a little bit, right, mm. which is a space that we normally wouldn't talk about a lot, uh, which I find interesting about BDSM again, because to wrap it all the way to the start of my journey, which is about power, right, Um, I think so much of our society doesn't make power explicit, just like we don't make sex explicit. Um, The reality is that when you're in a relationship with someone, you know, be it sexual, be it non-sexual, be it a friendship, be it romantic. Is that you are having effects on each other. You are on some level conditioning each other to like or dislike certain behaviors. You are having influences on each other. Now, don't start overthinking this. <laughs> Every psychologist will warn you, don't do that because you'll become kind of either a manipulative asshole or you'll start distrusting everyone. Um, you know, most human behavior is kind of more complex than that. But BDSM might make a lot of those conversations explicit. Um, and I find that that interesting, right? Because you can put on the table, like, oh, wait a second. I always cook in this relationship. I don't actually want to do that. Is on some level a conversation about power structures and hierarchy and who does what. Uh, and that's kind of what I find interesting about BDSM, again, is you can make things that we normally wouldn't think about explicit and even sexual, right? hmm Maybe maybe I don't like doing housework, but if I have someone who tells me to do it, then it suddenly becomes a lot of fun. Um, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, that way you can renegotiate oh, wow. all those structures. Yeah. So
0: uh, well, Open communication, people. Yeah. Explicit.
1: yeah. Yeah, there's maybe another conversation to have there at some point about how video games don't do that. Uh, video games kind of don't negotiate a lot with the player. They kind of tend to just go, here it is, and your only real negotiation is to turn off the game.
0: Yeah, um, your the you know, the rules are still stated, but actually maybe more than video games, like having to click okay on a fourteen page EULA and Ts and C's is like the rules are laid out, but it's a you know one sided Yeah it's a bit of a rule and, and uh and then you can just yeah accept or Ought yeah. to use, which is not exactly uh, possible for a lot of things, right? Um, yeah. Certain products...
1: And the EULA won't say that we're going to use Operant Conditioning to try to get you addicted to loot boxes, <laughs> right? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you do... I kind of consent to that. Um,
0: so, Rack without the RA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, or maybe the other way around. It's like consensual, like, kink, but there's, like, no risk awareness.
0: It's like... <laughs> That's the without the RA, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: All right. That sounds like a good note to end on. So, um... It's been lovely chatting, Nicole.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it was nice catching up and finally getting his conversation out of the way.
0: I would link something, but um, you may unbothered offline goddess so
1: yeah i don't have a twitter i don't have a linkedin i don't like signing up things that ask my consent the only option you have
0: is send your spreadsheet to me and i'll forward it if it's if it passes the test so that's your options catch it in my email and uh catch you guys next time